0: I think there's some sort of phases of being an outdoors person that go through, people go through in their lives. And, you know, you sort of go through, hey, I'm interested in this. Hey, I'm learning about it. Hey, I'm a neophyte. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I can do this stuff. I can be Bear Grylls. And then you realize that being bare Grylls is actually really uncomfortable and kind of sucks. And you can't take your friends and loved ones with you. And then you're like, well, hey, you know, why don't we all just go to these secret hot springs in Death Valley and have a great weekend and cook good food and hang out with our dogs and sit naked in hot springs and just have a great time?
1: I'm Jennifer Grayson, and this is the Uncivilized Podcast. Hi everyone, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Jennifer Grayson. Welcome to season three of the Uncivilized podcast and welcome everyone to what will actually be our last season of the show. That was the news I had teased at the end of the last episode this past spring, although admittedly it took me a little more time and soul searching than I had anticipated to get here. Uh, This may not be the end of Uncivilized, let me just say that. It may be taking on a new form, which we'll hear about perhaps later this season, or if you are connected with me on social media, but it is the end of the podcast for now. The truth is, doing a podcast is really, really time-consuming work uh, for a journalists, especially when you're doing it for free. And the truth is, I want to free up more time in my life, not just for, well, I'll share some news here, I'm going to be going back to school pretty soon in a science health evolution-related field. That's all I'm going to say for now. I know I'm I'm being vague about everything today, uh, but it is very new. So I'll share more about that later this season. But I also want to free up more time because after these two years of interviewing all of these thought leaders about how to shift to a more radically nature-centric existence in the 21st century, uh, I want to step away from my computer and my podcast setup and my family and I want to start living a life more aligned with the life of the guests on my show. Uh, and hopefully, after all of these episodes and everything you've learned here, you are ready to do that too. So, this is not over yet. I have six amazing episodes for you. I am going to release them each week, every Thursday. Uh, This episode this week is with Wes Seiler, an adventure outdoor adventure journalist who writes for Outside Magazine. He's one of my favorite writers. He is my go-to for basically every outdoor adventure I plan with my family. And you're going to love this show. Stay tuned. I will see you next Thursday. Thank you everyone for all of your support this far. And I will be back soon with a new episode. Wes Siler runs Indefinitely Wild, Outside's Lifestyle column telling the story of adventure travel in the outdoors, the vehicles and gear that get us there, and the people we meet along the way. You may recognize Wes from such websites as Jalopnik, Gizmodo, and Hell for Leather, where he used to review cars and motorcycles and share his various misadventures outdoors and otherwise. A former Angelino, West lives in Montana now with his partner Virginia McQueen and their dogs Wiley, Bowie, and Teddy. Wes, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I have to admit something. I, uh, I'm having you on the show because I've been having some of my own misadventures as of late. Yeah. And this is a little bit selfish, but I, I have always loved the outdoors. I did not grow up camping. Um, my husband and I really want our kids to grow up camping. We started camping regularly with them a couple of years ago. But mm-hmm. after our last trip, and yet another horribly uncomfortable night sleeping on our eggshell accordion mats, <laughs> he like, w- <laughs> whispered to me at two in the morning, we are not on the PCT. Why Why do we have this setup? Um, there has to be a better way. So, you know, I did a little more research since then and found out that lo and behold, lo-, lo and behold, one of my favorite writers for Outside Magazine has already published extensive articles out there on the ultimate setup for being comfortable in the outdoors. Uh, he really knows what he's doing. So Wes, please tell me what am I doing wrong and what are most people doing wrong when it comes to camping, even experienced campers? Because, you know, I did a lot of research trying to get the best gear possible. I, I spoke with the folks at adventure 16 and REI. Oh, um, gosh. so yeah, tell me what are we all doing wrong?
0: I think what most people don't understand is that camping does not have to be uncomfortable. Um, whether that's backpacking or car camping, like we're talking about here, there's dedicated gear focus on those spaces. And it's specialized and you have to seek it out. But if you take the time to do so, camping should be just as comfortable as sleeping at home, if not more so.
1: How long did it take you to come to that realization?
0: I think it was when I realized that uh, camping made an excellent third date uh, back when I was single. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I sort of was looking for ways to make sure that people were comfortable that weren't necessarily as experienced or prepared to rough it as I was. Um, and so I just sort of went down that rabbit hole and started, you know, moving my gear forward. And I found a a solution that I think you found in my articles now that is, is literally more comfortable than the Tempur-Pedum mattress I sleep on at home. Um, and you know, like doing that, it, it, it enables you to just have a great time. You get a great night's sleep. You're warm. Um, and obviously most importantly, it's also a mattress that you can have sex on, um, which you know, is something you should be doing when you, when you go camping.
1: Yeah. My husband enjoyed that side note in your piece, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, the blow up, I don't know if I want to get into too much detail since I have a lot of family members listening, but, uh, of course. you know, the, that, those accordion eggshell mattresses they don't cut it. Uh, neither Did do you... those little blow up ones with the side rails. They're really uncomfortable. So just <laughs> tell yeah. us, um, yeah. So can you give us a rundown? I know you have articles, but like you don't have to give gear specifically, but what's what are like the essential components in your car camping setup?
0: So the first thing to understand um, about sleeping outdoors is that your mattress is just as important for insulation as your sleeping bag is. And if you've ever spent a cold night outdoors, it's probably because your mattress was, was uninsulated. So the first thing you have to start with is that good support for sleep. And what I use, what hopefully now you use through my articles is the XPed Mega Mat Duo. It was originally developed for Everest Base Camp and is the warmest, most insulative uh, outdoors mattress in the world. Um, it's two layers of memory foam sandwiching a uh, pressurized air chamber. So you can dial in the actual level of support and bounce. Uh, we won't take it further than that for our family audience. But... You know, it's, it just it just delivers just an ideal cushion, warm sleep service you can go on, and then from there you can just take it into using quilts and blankets and things like that because you're starting from that foundation of warmth and comfort.
1: So you're not doing even doing a sleeping bag; it's set up really like a bed in the outdoors, right? Yeah, I mean,
0: you're, you're sleeping outdoors. Why you know, why would you need a sleeping bag? Um, as long as you have an adequate level of insulation, which you can get from blankets you know, in, in, in down quilts, then you, you just, you just don't need to be tucked up in a little mummy bag, unable to move, unable to touch your partner, unable to sleep together.
1: Yeah. Well, it's so, it's so great to hear you say this because you're obviously such an experienced outdoorsman, but I, I really thought that I had to go with like this minimalist setup so that I could be, I hate to say it, but like a real deal camper who could camp anywhere and that I should get used to like the least comfortable thing possible. And then somehow, I don't know make it work no matter where I went. So this is kind of a relief to hear you telling me uh, that it's okay to go all out if you want.
0: There's such a misconception that you have to be like super legit or are suffering in in order to like deserve these outdoors experiences. And it's just, it's just not that true. Um, I think what people are really surprised about the first time we come camping with me is how comfortable and nice everything is. And it's not just from a gear perspective, it's just an approach. Approach camping as an enjoyable weekend outdoors. I love cooking excellent dinners. I love having nice drinks. Um, You know, go someplace comfortable and beautiful that you can really enjoy, and then you get something out of it. It shouldn't be a rainy, nasty weekend where everybody's miserable. That's not a a recipe for success.
1: Right. So where are some of the places you've taken this car camping setup? What are some of the, like, most remarkable places?
0: (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I know you've
1: been everywhere, so
0: make us jealous. all over. I mean, when I used to live in LA, um, you know, I loved going down to Baja. And, you know, you, you can actually just, just cross the border, drive past Ensenada, which is an hour south of the border. And then the rest of the 900 mile long peninsula is just wild. And there's no rules. And so you can just offer it out onto a beach because you found a beach and camp on it and have a bonfire and have an amazing camping experience. Um, and that to me is, is really what camping should be about.
1: And so what about when you're backpacking? Because I know you don't always go car camping. You've done some pretty adventurous expeditions. So tell me about, yeah, what what do you bring when you go on some of those more adventurous trips?
0: Well, it sort of depends on what what the actual mission is. Again, you know, if I'm taking friends or Virginia, my fiance, um, you know, I like to focus on creating an enjoyable experience. So one of the trips I'm thinking of right now is, you know, two years ago we were visiting my family in France and we drove up to the Alps to a Grand National Park. Um, we're the first people of the season over a pass. We had to do a little, um, you know, cramp on ice, ice scaling stuff. Um, and then camped in a sort of magical Valley that we had all to ourselves, all to ourselves underneath a 500 foot waterfall with red stag and eagles flying and marmots running around. And it was just this beautiful, wonderful, incredible experience. And it didn't take much effort to make happen.
1: And what are you sleeping on when you're doing that kind of an experience?
0: We have like an ultralight version of that two-person sleep system from Big Agnes. So they make a double-wide version of their ultralight uh, Q-Core SLX pad. And then the thing that makes the Big Agnes system unique is that they have sleeping bags tailored just to those sleeping pads uh, that don't have insulation underneath. Um, You don't actually need insulation from a bag underneath you when you're camping because the sleeping pad, again, provides that insulation. So Big Agnes has come up with a system that helps you cut weight by not not having to carry that extra, extra down or whatever. Um, and so actually backpacking with a two-person setup actually creates a lighter base weight for both people uh, as opposed to using two one-person setups.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we're going to have to post links to all of that uh, on the show notes page. So... You're wait. Are you French? Did you say your family is no, in France? No. Should dad, we pronounce your name, Silé?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, no, the, the name is actually German. Uh, oh okay. But, um, back in the early '90s, my dad decided he was too liberal to live in America anymore, um, and so we moved to Europe. And I spent middle school and high school um, in England, and then they retired in France.
1: Oh wow. Okay. So wait, I want to hear more about your background now because. Obviously, you've been doing all of this outdoorsy stuff. You said you've been camping for 38 years.
0: Well, so, i I'm, I'm 38 years old. Yeah, like, I was gonna say. I mean, you yeah. don't sound like you're. You don't look
1: like you're much older than that. Uh, so tell uh, me, okay. tell me about your background. And and were you camping when you lived in Europe too?
0: Oh yeah. Oh oh, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, my mom and dad were were camping before um before I was born. Uh, my dad grew up being an outdoorsman. Uh, he's from North Carolina. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I went on my first camping trip very soon after I was born. And I was very fortunate to have that kind of upbringing where dad was able to teach me the skills and give me the motivation and the push to to really enjoy the outdoors. And I was able to continue that through Boy Scouts. And then in in England, I went to an American military school. Um, And so we had an excellent Boy Scout program on the base uh, run by the military dads. Uh, who I'm sure you can imagine would be very enthusiastic about taking kids camping and you know playing with explosives and doing all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, hopefully not playing with explosives, but um... <laughs> wait. So is your dad military?
0: No, he was a uh, he worked for the DoD. He was a civilian employee of the DoD. Uh, again, specializing in explosives.
1: Oh wow! And what about your mom?
0: Mom was a special needs teacher.
1: Oh wow!
0: So p- particularly suited to raising me. <laughs> 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 you
1: know you are a very unique i don't want to say character west you're a very unique person that's one of the reasons i was so excited to talk to you and why i well, love your you. writing is because you kind of seem to defy all stereotypes of outdoors enthusiasts or rewilders as we talk about on this show you know you're in an environmental journalist who's an avid mm. an avid hunter uh right. you've lived in cities most of your life but now you live in Montana, you have survivalist chops, obviously, but you seem to yeah. take more pleasure in bougie camping setups than stick shelters, it seems like. Uh, from... Well, I mean,
0: who, who wouldn't? That just seems... <laughs> you know, but there is, is,
1: there is, there there are definitely people who go that route of being hardcore rerouters or hardcore just like trying to recreate that, uh, even like the hunter-gatherer experience in the modern day world. And so... Totally. I know this is like a big question. It sounds like a goofy question my husband would ask me, but like, what does rewilding mean to you? What's your philosophy on how we kind of reconcile this modern industrialized existence we have with with this need we, and love you obviously have for being in the outdoors?
0: Well, I think you've described it very well. Um, obviously, we're calling my new little little web show we're doing with Outside Rewilding. And what we're trying to do for that show is is kind of like teach people the basic skills and show them how straightforward enjoying the outdoors is. And that to me is just what's going on here with with the rewilding movement is like, you know, hey, all of a sudden most of us live in cities. Nature is a cool thing. Why don't we just all put in the, the minimal level of effort that it takes to go out and figure out how to enjoy that again?
1: So have you felt the urge ever to take it more in the survivalist route?
0: You know, when I was younger, I think there's some sort of phases of being an outdoors person that go through people go through in their lives and you know you sort of go through, hey, I'm interested in this. Hey, I'm learning about it. Hey, I'm a neophyte. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I can do this stuff. I can be Bear Grylls. And then you realize that being Bear Grylls is actually really uncomfortable and kind of sucks and you can't take your friends and loved ones with you. And then you're like, well, hey, you know, why don't we all just go to these secret hot springs in Death Valley and have a great weekend and cook good food and hang out with our dogs and sit naked in hot springs and just have a great time?
1: Right. And that
0: sort of becomes the phase where you're like, I really enjoy this. I want to share it with other people. I want to spend time with my loved ones. Um, and I not to say I, I don't go off and, you know, have have challenging experiences, but I, I really try to create a life where I'm outdoors regularly, almost every day and doing so in a, in a fashion that I enjoy.
1: Right. And at the same time, you're also very much working for uh, conservation and writing about really important issues. I mean, you're not just sitting around with beers all the time. This is, you've found a real niche. It seems, uh, to kind of advocate for a better existence for all of us.
0: Well, so, you know, doing this stuff, you know, spending a lot of time outdoors, you become very passionate about protecting it, and you realizing that you know this is one of the things that makes America unique. Obviously, there's there's outdoor stuff around the world, but not nearly as much as we have here in the U.S. You think about what what a tradition it is for for most of us to enjoy camping, for most of us to enjoy the outdoors in some fashion, and that is not something that other countries share. And so you you realize how privileged we are to have this you want to, you want to protect it you want to sort of you know keep the the evils away from it and I think that anybody who who enjoys this stuff would would agree.
1: Right. I do agree. And also I've I've been on a similar path that you have. I mean not I don't have the breadth of outdoors experience that you do but as I sort of discovered this whole rewilding movement I I have been taking all of these foraging classes and primitive skills classes with my girls and I love it. But, awesome. But a lot. Of, yeah, it is. It, it is awesome. It's great to have that kind of it, it's a very empowering. But then there are times when I just go outside of L.A. and I stay in a, just a cabin with like no cars. And I'm like, well, this is all I yeah. need. I don't really need yeah. to be in a stick hut. I need just not to be in Los Angeles uh, or right. maybe have a simpler existence. That's but, more, but at the same
0: time, those skills that you're learning, you know, that maybe you aren't relying on just for survival you know, in that cabin can improve your experience. You might, you might be able to identify now you're going for a little hike outside the cabin, collect some mushrooms, bring them back, throw in the dinner you'd already prepared and bought at the store just for some extra ingredients, you know, enjoying hikes that much more because you have that much more confidence that you know, you're going to be able to get through there know you're going to be able to get home or something, you know, you get lost or hurt that you know what to do.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's true. And I don't have the fear that I used to when I I grew up in the woods, but in the woods of Connecticut, like all you see are deer and squirrels. Uh, Right. And then when I came to California, I was like, every hike, I was looking for the mountain lion, you know, leaping uh, out, off of the rock. But but since taking all of those classes, I'm like, okay, the mountain lions are not out to get me. This is not going to happen. I recognize all of these plants. I have a very strong sense of the place that I'm in and how to yeah. keep myself safe. And so, yeah. I've, have, you, have you found that as well? That like, do you feel like you have more of a sense of how to stay safe? In the, I don't even know what I'm asking. I'm going to scrap that. Um.
0: <laughs> I, well, I, I see where I you're going with yeah. this. And people that are new to this or haven't spent a lot of time outdoors approach it from a position of fear. Um, back, was, back when I was in L.A., I ran a small charity uh, where I was providing an outdoor mentorship program for formerly homeless LGBT youth. And so I was taking them on their first camping trips. And a lot of times, you know, their first time out of the city at all. And you know they were terrified, and it was hilarious. They were they were convinced all the time that a bear was behind every tree, and we would be in like Santa Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> and so I I told them that you know I told them all these stories about the times that Wiley, my oldest dog, has fought bears, and he has. Um, and they were I got them convinced that as long as they stayed near Wiley, uh, the the inevitable bear attacks that were about to incur. Um, you know, would be fought off by Wiley, and so it, it was great because they they grew more confident, they grew less fearful, and they stayed right with my dogs. So I don't have to worry about them. So it was, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this, but people are scared, they shouldn't be, and it takes a little bit of experience to get get not scared.
1: Right, and the more you do, the the greater you can sort of expand your comfort zone. And so let's talk about Absolutely. you for a second because you were in L. A. Right? How many years were you in L. A.?
0: Eight years, I think.
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then. You made the move to Montana. You you got yeah. out, as I said yeah. when we first started talking. <laughs> uh, so tell me what that's been like, and and how long did it take you to prepare for that transition, and why did you oh move gosh. to Montana? Is
0: we, there- we totally we totally just did this. Um, my fiance Virginia is is wonderful, obviously, and she has this incredible stepmom who is half Blackfeet and is from Montana, and so Virginia be coming up here on holiday most of her life. And I'd never been to Montana at all. I didn't know Montana other than, like, an empty square on a map. Never heard, never realized this place was super cool. And it's, it's a little bit off people's radars. If, if you're not familiar with Montana listeners, uh, this is Hawaii for people that like mountains and animals. Um, so Virginia brought me up here. We were shopping for houses in, like, Bend, Oregon, and Seattle. Oh, and places, I love
1: Bend. Bend's our yeah, tra- place.
0: Traditional outdoorsy places. And yeah. they just never felt like us. They didn't feel that exciting. We were going to make it happen just to sort of make a change, which is where we were in life. Mm-hmm. But she brought me here to Bozeman and um, we went out for a nice dinner and we were walking back to the hotel after, you know, a bottle of wine. And she was like, well, why don't we just move to Montana? And I was like, really fancy girl, you, you, you can live in a place with like six shops and uh, you know one main street. And she was like, yes. And I was like, okay. And four months later, we had purchased our first house and moved up here. Wow. Yeah. Where, where is she
1: from originally? <laughs> is she from LA? She's, she's from Dallas. She's from Dallas. Oh, wow. Okay. So that is a huge change. And oh, yeah. so, so do you feel like you're home now? Do you both feel like this is where you're meant to be?
0: Yeah, it, t- it took us a while. You know, the, obviously we, we moved, to, you know, bought our first house, had to figure that all that out. That's, that's, a, that's a huge endeavor. Um, you, we moved up here without knowing anybody. So making friends, you making friends in your 30s as an adult that's, you know, in a couple is is sort of like dating again. <laughs> right. Um, you know, but the, the, the one thing that wasn't challenging, the one thing that was really felt like home right away was the outdoors. Um, and we just have such easy access to it. You know, we're, LA actually has really fantastic, uh, access to the outdoors for a major world city. I think it's probably the best major world city for outdoor access in, in the, in the world. Um, but you know, stuff that I was driving four hours to do or really spending a lot of time and effort to do, I now just like go right outside of town, five minutes from our house and do it there. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what we gained.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. I, you do have wonderful access in LA, but it takes a long time to get there. It really does. So yeah. yeah. So what is, what do your days look like now? You're, you're such a prolific writer. You're Uh, obviously churning out the work. Uh, and you have also have an amazing Instagram account. uh, So how, how much time are you spending in the outdoors? And do you have, do you have a schedule of how you balance now your life where you have such easy access to the wilderness and then also the screen time that you have to do just because of your work?
0: Yeah, I've never been that organized. I think people are always very um, disappointed when they ask me this question and expect that I have some incredible process organization behind it all. And I I don't. I just sort of wake up in the morning and like have a cup of coffee and stumble my way through some work and then try try to wrap up by like three or four. And then uh, almost every day we take the dogs hiking. Um, And so, you know, that was, you know, Runyon Canyon Park in Los Angeles. And now (laughs) it's, you know, one of the five mountain ranges that borders Bozeman now. Uh, And we sort of choose what level of risk and adventure we want to have. And so it's, you know, it's literally like sit there, it's 4 p.m. We're done with work. Um, Do we want to strap on guns and bear spray and go deal with grizzly bears? Do we want to go to the easy mountains that don't have grizzly bears? Do we want to like cross a glacier? Do we want to deal with avalanche risk? Do we want to drive off road? You know, like how much of a mood are we in for what level of adventure and just sort of scale accordingly? And that's like literally every day of our life now.
1: Wow. So is there anything you weren't prepared for? Like, do you feel, do you miss LA at all? Or is every day you're just like, oh, this um, is amazing.
0: We're kind of still, our, we're, you know, 13 months in, we're kind of still in our, our um, uh, what's the word for it? Um, uh, honeymoon? Honey- yeah, honeymoon period. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> not terribly articulate. Um, you, you know, I, I, I miss some of our old friends in Los Angeles. Um, there's definitely some days in the winter where, you know, it's really gnarly and you're like, you know, it'd be nice just to go for a walk in the sun right now. Um, but overall, this is still such an adventure and so rewarding that, you know, going back to LA a couple times, we've had to go back for family or work stuff has been like, Oh God, I don't want to do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the level of venture that you can access now is just, it, it must be endless. I mean, it just sounds so yeah. amazing
0: but uh, there's just a level of danger here that doesn't exist in California and that can be positive and negative. You know, there are there are, you know like we were camping on Saturday night and the dogs were off in the woods, you know 100 yards outside of camp and one of them yelped. And my first my first reaction was like holy shit, it's going to be a grizzly bear. You know, okay, guns in my belt, guns loaded, bear spray, okay, we're doing this. And then went went over and they were just like fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, let's so let's talk about the guns, because I, I that's one of the things that I thought was so interesting about you is that you are such an avid hunter, and there is this level of danger that you have to be prepared for. So uh, let's go right. in a little bit of a different direction. And and I want to give you the opportunity to enlighten our listeners on something we haven't had an opportunity to really talk about on the show. Um, cool. So yeah, so just enlighten us. Tell us about this unique perspective you have. What's your stance on? Well, this is going to be a, a double question. Uh, What's your stance on the Second Amendment? And and why are so many environmentalists against hunting?
0: Well, if if an environmentalist is against hunting, they are not an environmentalist. Um, A lot of people aren't going to be aware of this, but hunting is 100% 100 responsible for animal conservation in America. Today, we have more deer, more black bear, bear and more mountain lions than existed ever since white people colonized America. And the thing that's responsible for that is hunting hunting is conservation. Um, part of that is hunting is what pays for, uh, land to be set aside for animal conservation. It's what pays for the actual people to be employed in animal conservation is what pays to catch poachers. It's what pays for all those programs. Um, it's this incredible success story. And I, I don't want to spend the entire radio show on this, but if anybody's curious about learning more, is like, Oh my gosh, you're so wrong. Hunters are evil. Just Google the, the North American model of conservation and read more about that. And it's it's really going to surprise you.
1: Yeah. Or I will also put some links to some of your articles that you've written, because unfortunately, as gun violence has exploded in this country and right now we're talking in the wake of yeah. El Paso and the Dayton mass shootings, uh, you know, everyone's talking about it. And, yeah. and you know, you, well, you said recently, which seemed to draw a lot of controversy, that hunters should leave the NRA.
0: Yeah. So hunting has this, this terrible image problem and guns have this terrible image problem. And, you know, you and I have similar backgrounds. You know, we grew up in liberal families in liberal parts of the world. As, as You know, most of the world probably did. And we never really experienced this stuff. And then, you know, guns really suffers from this like awful redneck piece of crap image. And that's a shame. And the NRA is, is really responsible for a lot of that, um, you know, instead of seeing a gun safety and training and responsibility organization, the NRA has really pivoted to become this like right wing propaganda mill. And so we see, you know, KKK hoods on Thomas, the tank engine for reasons that are completely inexplicable and unrelated to guns as part of the NRA's messaging. And they're just dividing. They're they're part of what's dividing America and part of what's creating this polarized conversation. Um, And I think it really does a disservice for all of us here um, as sort of the very high level overview of like the guns in America topic, there's more guns than people in this country. They're not going anywhere. We need to learn how to coexist with them. That probably does involve some regulation attached to guns. Um, because I have a lot of experience with them. I don't really think that legislation attached to types of guns or what guns look like or what color they are is terribly effective. And would love to see regulation focus more on who's able to own and use guns. Uh, overall, maybe a your licensing system. um, you know, but we need to look at this as a realistic thing. And it's probably behooves all of us to learn what the practical uses and what the practical arguments for guns are, and then also have a reasonable conversation about what the practical places where guns don't belong are as well.
1: Right. So since you've published some of these pieces and, and have had to comment on this in the media, do you find that more people from the hunting or even like the NRA world have been reaching out to you?
0: You know, it's surprising. I, I was very critical of the NRA, uh, very publicly a long time before all this recent scandal stuff broke. And there's definitely people that won't touch me. There's definitely brands and companies that won't work with me. Um, I don't really care. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who have, before all this scandal stuff broke, quietly expressed like, Hey man, you're on the right direction here. um, in the past, anybody in the gun or hunting world that criticized the NRA lost their job. Um, and I think what my unique position is, is because I work for such a large mainstream, traditionally liberal magazine, is that my employment was not pegged to the NRA. So I was able to have a great platform to sort of state the truth um, in a place that wasn't financial reliance on gun manufacturers for advertising.
1: Right. And the truth is, and you can speak to this now from where you live in the country, I I see more, I see less of a liberal conservative divide than I do in an urban and a rural divide. Um, totally. Yeah. So maybe you could just in closing, maybe speak to that a little bit, because the realities of living in a rural area, I mean, the truth is, I would not want to live in Montana and go hiking without some sort of protection. So... uh how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's you're seeing this rural-urban divide? Do you feel like it's tied to liberalism and conservatism? Yeah, there's
0: yeah, there, there's, there's some elements of both. Um, you know, obviously the 30 to 50 uh, feral hogs meme is, is fun this week. Um, you know, so there are, there are practical reasons for gun ownership in a place like Montana. We have grizzly bears in the mountains here. Obviously, they are a threatened species. Nobody wants to kill a grizzly bear, but at the same time, you know, I promised my fiance that I will come home, you know?
1: Yeah, it's a and nice promise to make, right.
0: To look after her, you know, she, she carries her own gun and is actually a better shot than I am. But, you know, I want to make sure that I can help take care of her. I want to help take care of my friends, help keep people safe, and guns are part of that. To me, that's what guns are part of. Um, you know, we lose that sometimes in a place like Los Angeles um, where most people don't have guns and where, you know, safety is largely provided by the police.
1: Well, people do have guns. They just are... Hidden or used for not good reasons.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you know, a normal person in Los Angeles does not need to own or carry a gun and is in fact prohibited by law from doing so. Whereas I have an actual legitimate, you know, normal need in day to day life to have a gun, you know, up here. Um, People are probably going, what about bear spray? And, you know, bear spray is a thing. um, And it'd be my my preference to to use in a bear encounter, but it's not going to do a whole lot with a bear that's really, really angry. You know, it might be sort of a curious bear, it might be sort of a bear that's sort of, you know, half pissed off, but it's it's not going to stop 850 pounds of, you know, charging muscle and teeth and claws if it really comes down to it. And, you know, so I carry a gun for that very unlikely circumstance, but, you know, <laughs> we do have three or four people in Bozeman who are mauled every year in the mountains right outside of town. So, you know, like, guns are a part of my everyday life now, they're a part of my safety, they're a part of being a responsible resident of a place like this. Um, you know, people think I, I go and hang out with my Los Angeles friends. I think they think I'm insane. Um, and I think it's weird and crazy that I have an AR-15. And I think it's weird and crazy that I converted our uh, wine cellar at our new house to an armory. Uh, and that I own somewhere north with 20 guns at this point in my life. But it, you know, there's, there, there's, it's it just we just look at each other differently, and we shouldn't. There's, there's, you know, there's practical reasons for this, and it's not killing people. It's not that kind of thing. It's, you know, just, it's different life.
1: Right. Well, and also it's not, it sounds like despite the mainstream outdoorsman appeal West that there is, there's a little bit of prepper perhaps underscoring this or no.
0: Uh, to, to a certain degree. Um, you know, uh, obviously our country's not headed in a, in a great direction. You never know what might happen even on a smaller scale, just in a, in a local disaster. Um, I certainly wouldn't encourage anybody to, um, get my way, uh, <laughs> uh, or my family's way, uh, in, in any sort of life-threatening scenario. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm prepared to, um, uh, deal with that.
1: Yeah. I was thinking of a good transition, like. Uh, get in your way with this, or get in your way with grilling a steak and making <laughs> making a cocktail by the campfire. Uh, but I can't think of a good transition. So,
0: <laughs> but this,
1: this no, this is fascinating, and these are things we need to talk about because I think as environmentalists, uh, and also people who just care about the outdoors, people tend to get lumped into groups of wherever they live. And in Los Angeles, right. I'm around a very specific type of pe- person. And, and totally. I think we need to hear other people's views and you express them beautifully. And so I just want to say, keep up the great work. Uh, tell us what's next for you then. And and just maybe in closing, do you have any advice for anyone listening right now who wants to go in more in your direction?
0: Yeah, I mean, A, a the, the best advice is just to go do it. Um, you know, don't wait, don't, don't make excuses. Don't be scared. Just, you know, pick a place and go camping and scale from there and learn, learn as you go. Um, what's next for us that we're real excited about right now is, um, we're planning our wedding next March down in Baja. Oh,
1: Uh, wonderful.
0: Yes. That'll be super fun. And then our honeymoon will be, uh, driving down and back with the dogs. So we've sort of tried to translate our experience of the outdoors and our enjoyment of what makes Baja special um, to our family and friends who aren't necessarily outdoors people. Um, so, we found a really cool, nice hotel that's just sort of, you know, on an abandoned beach in the middle of nowhere. And we're going to have a really nice, sort of fancy wedding there. And then, hopefully, you know, on the way there and back, you know, just like off road down on the beaches and catch fish and let the dogs run around and, you know, really have a, you know, both an experience that we can translate to our friends and necessarily do all the stuff that we do and then also have a very legitimate experience ourselves.
1: That sounds unbelievable. Well, I wish you all the best. Tell everyone where they can follow your work.
0: Um, Outsideonline.com slash indefinitely wilds, And if you're looking for me on Instagram, it's just Wes Seiler.
1: And then your show Rewilding with Wes Siler airs how frequently?
0: Uh, weekly, and it'll be on outsideonline.com's homepage.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Wes. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio so you don't miss the next one. And please don't forget to leave us a rating and review. If you want to talk more about this episode or have an idea for a future show, head on over to my Instagram page. That's at Jennifer Grayson 1. As with every episode, the resources and links for the show are available at JenniferGrayson.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter, which comes out once a month. Our theme music is by composer Paul Damien Hogan. That's it for me, and I'll be back soon with a new episode.